Well, it is certainly so good to gather together, um, and it's been a joy to be making our way through Romans. We are in the middle of a kind of three weeks of Romans 9, 10, and 11, which really are one argument from Paul, and so we're jumping into the middle of it. And in this argument and in this conversation with Paul, he's really kind of beginning to ask the question, Eric did a great job getting us started last week, is what's the deal with Israel, uh, and has God failed? Has God lied? Has God gone back on his promise, uh, as so many people have often thought? And so we're going to continue that thought today, and it will still remain mildly unanswered because the conclusion of the thought will come next week as we get into Romans 11. But this morning, uh, we are going to continue to see how Paul makes a consistent plea First and foremost, that God remains faithful, uh, that he has not abandoned his word in any way, shape, or form. Uh, The second will be that Israel is still invited in. Uh, In fact, everyone's invited in. Uh, And then we are going to see how Paul, one of the things we'll look at this morning is is how Paul kind of very, in in a clever way, is continuing to build a case of how the Old Testament prepares the way for Jesus. That the Old Testament that the Jews should have seen, Paul's heart is so filled with sorrow because his fellow Jews, like him prior to his conversion on the road to Damascus, they should have seen, they should have been able to recognize that Jesus was the Messiah, and they missed it. And so we're going to jump right in um, to it because we're going we're gonna to... S- it's almost going to be like a two-part morning as we are going to work through what this passage is saying in context, and then we're going to talk through a couple pastoral things uh, or encouragements to us that I think are in this text. Um, and so I don't want to talk anymore without getting into the Word. And so if you have Romans 10, let us read it. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And now 5 through 21 is what we'll be looking at today. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scriptures say, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him who they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? 
as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the words of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? And first Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I've held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Father, we ask that you would teach us this morning through your word. God, would you help us as this is a large portion, and of course we can't work through every single nitty-ditty detail this morning. We ask, Spirit, that you would illuminate, that you would stir, that you would speak. Lord, would you use me this morning for your glory. We love you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is a obviously a, a chunky passage. It's one that is quite long. We're not going to be able to engage with every single detail in this passage. But I want to help us understand for sure what is happening here. And one of the things is just, a, just a, almost an aside. For those of you guys who have uh, you know, the old school analog Bible in your hands, you might notice... Uh, that there are a lot of quotations, even if you don't have the analog version. You have, the digital version has quotations, and those quotations aren't just like magical quotations. Those quotations are references to the Old Testament, and there are loads of them in this section. From Leviticus 18 to Deuteronomy 30, Joel 2, Isaiah 26, Isaiah 52, Isaiah 53, Psalm 19, Deuteronomy 32, Isaiah 65. There are a bunch of of Old Testament passages in this section. And that is a good reminder for us to understand that who is Paul writing to? The, the start of this is, is Paul's heart, and you can hear it throughout the entirety of his, um, uh, this chapter. His desires that Jews would come to know Jesus. His desires that they would be saved. You can hear the anguish, the emotion, the frustration, the sadness from Paul. And it's not surprising then if as he's writing this to the folks in Rome, some of who are Jews, some who might be Jewish Christians, others who are slaves, others who are Gentile by nature, they would be familiar with some of what Paul is saying here. And here Paul is building a case, big picture wise, that Jesus is the Messiah and we should have all seen it. And he still is the one that you Jews are listening for, you're longing for, you Israel are longing for. We're going to highlight a couple of these Old Testament passages. And like I said, we won't be able to go through all of them. But probably the most significant is Deuteronomy 30. You see, Deuteronomy 29 and verse 30, they involve Israel's curse and future promise. They involve their inability to be obedient to God's call, and the curse that came upon them is that they would be a nation that would be scattered and other nations would rule over them. 
And Deuteronomy 30 points to God's willingness to forgive their sins. There in chapter 30, talks about gathering those who have been scattered and circumcising their hearts and the hearts of their offspring. And the Lord will again delight in prospering you as he took delight in your fathers when you obey the voice of the Lord your God, when you turn to him with all your heart and with all your soul. You see, Israel, even at this point, and T. Wright talks about as this is being written, Israel was still longing while they were exiled and while they were pushed out and while they were in Rome, they were still longing for this moment in Deuteronomy 30 where they would be forgiven, where they would be led back into the promised land, where they would be united. They've been asking the question, Lord, when is this going to happen? How are we going to be forgiven? How are we going to be more prosperous and numerous than our fathers? When is this going to happen? Paul says, but the word is very near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. So that you can do it. You see, Paul in this passage is trying to show Israel, the Jews who may not believe yet, that this promise from Deuteronomy 30 is now actually possible through Jesus. He says, we cannot go into heaven and bring the Messiah down, for Jesus came from heaven, taking on flesh. Who can go down into the depths and bring Jesus up from the grave? No, Jesus rose from the grave. We can't force any of those things. And Israel, for the course of their history, had a tendency to try and force God into a box. They tried to create a system to make God operate a certain way. And as such, they have found themselves in a place where they have a very difficult time actually receiving and believing the Messiah. But Paul is hinting at and directly connecting Deuteronomy 30 to Jesus. That because of Jesus, this word that has come near is Jesus. It's the good news that yes, though you have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God like we learned about in Romans 3.23, the good news is that through the way that that even though the wages of sin are death, that the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul, in our whole passage, is highlighting throughout the Old Testament how the Jews should be able to see that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the fulfillment of what they've been looking for. In verses 9 through 13 in our passage, Paul explains how somebody might be saved. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all we sang earlier, bestowing, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Paul is going to continue his argument here. Paul is still appealing to the Jews here. He's appealing to Israel. But as he does, he's also touching on some very touchy subjects and stumbling blocks for the Jews. 
There's a key word that's repeated a few times in those passages or in those verses. It's the word everyone. What does the word everyone mean? All, right? Everyone. Silly question. Who does it exclude? No one. All peoples are welcomed into the family of God. The question is how, and he speaks on that too, through the justifying work of Jesus on the cross. We've, we've worked through this over and over again in Romans. What Paul is doing here is he is not, as some have said, instilling a magic prayer or a recipe. Say these magic words and you get into heaven. That's not what's happening here. This is in context of Deuteronomy 30, Joel 2, where it's centered around the idea of a people who believe in their heart that Jesus is Lord. In both Deuteronomy 30 and throughout the Old Testament, the idea of belief is actually connected with the, the call to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. There is this connection, this inward connection, this trust. We'll look at it in a minute. But one of the big pieces for Paul is that the trust is put onto Jesus and his righteousness, not onto the Jews and their righteousness. Paul has made it super clear throughout Romans that all have sinned, all fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3, 23 and on, it says that not only have they fallen short of the glory of God, but they are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he passed over former sins. So what Paul is saying here is those who confess with their mouth and believe in their hearts are not leaning on their own righteousness. They are leaning on the righteousness of Jesus, which is now applied to them. This confession is an outward evidence of inward faith. What are they confessing? That they believe that Jesus Christ died for their sins. They're confessing that they believe that Jesus rose from the grave. But they're not just words. It's something internal. The, this idea, the heart believes this to be true. There is this ongoing trust, this inward motivation. And in Deuteronomy 30, it talks about how one day God will circumcise the hearts of his people and the offspring of their people. That there will be an inward transformation that takes place. This confess with our mouth and believe in our heart is a, yes, it is a declaration of what's true about Jesus and that I desire to trust him. It's also a commitment in our, the core of who we are that says, I now exist and trust God for the transformation of my life. 
One of the things that's fascinating in this passage is, is that Paul is continuing to do strenuous work in quoting all of these Old Testament passages and their context. That Jesus isn't bringing something brand new to the table. He's actually fulfilling the promises of old. He's making a way for all peoples to be part of the family of God. In which Israel was always intended to do from the beginning. The original promise that came to Abraham. That from you all the nations of the world will be blessed. Paul's pleading with his fellow brothers and sisters who may not yet believe in Jesus. If you want the part of the covenant blessing and the promise of Deuteronomy 30, you can stop searching for Jesus, our Messiah. He has come. But there are some stumbling blocks here for the Jew. They don't necessarily like the word everyone. This everyone rubs them the wrong way. This everyone was part of the reason that they couldn't see that Jesus was actually the Messiah. And Paul's heart breaks because he himself, we hear it. As we look back and through Acts, with his own journey, he couldn't see. One of the reasons he was persecuting the church so hard is that they were letting Gentiles in. He's holding the cloaks of those who stoned Stephen. He's approving of Stephen's execution. Yes, he's mad about this Jesus figure that these guys are talking about, but they're also mad because they feel like the Jewish name is getting polluted and diluted because Gentiles are coming in. And yet everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord is saved. Paul, as he's quoting all of these different portions of Scripture, he's like weaving this massive tapestry. He quotes a lot from Joel 2, which most of the time for us, Joel 2 is, is the one where we, it's, it's um, the promise of the Holy Spirit to come, where the outpouring of the Spirit's going to come, which is a huge portion of that. But what Paul does in this section is he does something that would be very jarring for the Jew. As he quotes Joel 2.32. Because the Lord, in Joel 2.32, is the covenant keeper. It is the God of Israel. It is Yahweh. In 2.32, it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be, shall be saved. And this clearly, clearly, clearly points to the God of Israel who is Yahweh. What is Paul saying? He's saying that Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God, has revealed himself in the person of Jesus. And N.T. Wright says this. He says, Paul is quite clear that Jesus, the Messiah, who died and rose again was the personal embodiment of Israel's God, coming at last to do what he had always promised, in and through him, reversing the disaster of Israel's earlier failure. The name of Israel's God has now at last been glorified among the nations of the world. 
Paul is speaking to Israel and he's saying, Yahweh, the, the God of Israel has revealed himself in Jesus. Salvation is available to you. You must confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. Not that God generically, save that, that Jesus Christ is Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. This would be jarring for the Jew who does not yet believe. Additionally, he uses an important phrase that those who are not Jews would also be startled by contextually in the time in which they're in. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, would be a phrase that would be potentially, um, uh, it would be problematic for Roman citizens and people living under the Roman Empire because back then, there was really one Lord of all, and that was Caesar. And proclaiming and confessing that Jesus is Lord, the Christian, the follower of Jesus, is saying Jesus is Lord and Caesar's not. It's not just Jesus is Lord and so is Caesar. It's Jesus is Lord and Caesar is not. It's fascinating. It's how Paul is writing here. For the scripture says, again, for Paul, this is him. This is pricking the ears of anybody who's a Jew. You should know this. Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. And those with a Jewish background, and even if you don't, nobody likes shame. People are afraid to be shamed. And here the promise is those, as we've seen throughout Romans so far, who put their faith and trust in Jesus, they will not be put to shame that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This too is from Joel 2. He's appealing to the, his Jewish audience and those who might read it that our own scriptures testify about this. In 14 through 21, Paul turns his attention. We'll come back to a couple things here in a few minutes. Paul turns his attention to the need to proclaim the truth of the gospel. How will people believe if they do not hear? How beautiful are the feet of the ones who preach the good news? There's this, Paul is compelling and encouraging how sweet it is for, for people to carry the good news of Jesus in particular. And how sweet it is to actually carry good news. I don't know about you. I love to tell people, like, good and exciting news. Like, I love, like, have you guys heard about this taco stand at the train station? <laughs> it is awesome. It is awesome. I tasted it. The pastor, the lengua, the tripas. It's good. Very, very, very good. I like it a lot. And you know what? I like to tell other people about the things that I like a lot. And there's something sweet about carrying good news. We're having a fifth child. That one was a little, there was some more fear and trepidation about that one. 
But there was part of me that also I took great joy in being able to share the good and sometimes shocking news to others. Blessed are the ones who carry and bring the good news, who preach the good news. And we'll talk more about that in in greater detail. I want to kind of work through some of this and we'll come back to this. But it's so... Paul's building this argument, look, we've got to preach. We've got to, and by preaching, he's mean proclaiming. We've got to use words to tell people about Jesus. How are people going to believe? If, if you are saved by confessing with your mouth and believing in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, how are people going to know that if you don't tell them? But in the grand scheme of this argument, a lot of this is just racked with heartache from Paul. Because though he is giving us a, 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 a small encouragement and push to go out and proclaim beneath all of it is a great sorrow and sadness because he goes on to say yeah have the jews not heard and he's like no of course they've heard and they haven't listened has somebody told them yes these very words that he's been repeating throughout our whole time they should have known and they didn't listen it's not detracting from us preaching, which we'll get back to in a second, but within the context of our passage, the sorrow that Paul has is massive. Even the psalm that's quoted is connected with the heavens declare the glory of God and, and the beginning of Romans 1 that talks about how no one is, everyone is without excuse because God has made himself known. Paul is saddened to the core. It doesn't stop him from sharing. He's saddened to the core that though the Jews had heard, though they had the scriptures, they still chose to go their own way. In the end of the passage, it says, but of Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. A people who are crying out, God, give me Deuteronomy 30. God, bring it all about. Make me Go to the promised land. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) And yet they have continued to be a disobedient people. A contrary people. In this process, Paul highlights how one of the ways the Jews are actually going to begin to listen is by seeing those who are far off come to know God the person of Jesus. That actually as more Gentiles come to know Jesus, there is a potential that Jews are going to start seeing who Jesus actually is and they'll respond. We'll get into more of that next week too. In addition, their rejection in God's grace has been one of the greatest conduits for the gospel to go to the ends of the earth. Again, Israel had a, has a tendency, has had a tendency. Their promise and their covenant commitment was, what, was that they would be a blessing to all of the nations. They had a tendency to not do such a thing. They had a tendency to peel back in their sin, sinfulness and to build walls around Israel rather than take God's promise to the ends of the earth. And Jesus comes and does for Israel what Israel could not do for themselves. Jesus comes and begins 
to break through. So much so that now there's this eclectic church in Rome that Paul's writing to that's filled with Jewish Christians, non-Jewish Christians, slaves, free men, women, who are following and serving Jesus. They have confessed with their mouth and believed in their heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. There's no doubt that Paul's heart is heavy. There's aspects of this passage that are a bit of a downer. Next week, we're going to see what the, the conclusion of Paul's thoughts are as we continue to ask the questions of what about Israel and God's faithfulness. But so far, Paul has shown that God is faithful and that all who are part of God's family confess that Jesus is Lord, not Caesar or any other created thing or system. The promises of old in Deuteronomy 30 and Joel 2 are now available in and through Jesus. And that his heart is broken because his fellow Jews should have seen it. Jesus came to them first that they may see, but they have failed by and large to see that he is the Christ, the son of the living God. If you're here this morning and you've never confessed with your mouth and believed in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, there is invitation for you. Don't be like Israel who heard but ignored. Respond to his invitation this morning. But if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, there's an invitation and a weight and a responsibility to be heralders or carriers of the good news of Jesus. Sometimes the word preach has such a negative uh, connotation to it. Or you think like what I'm doing now is what Paul's calling all of you to do is is to preach like this. No, preaching is is proclaiming. I love what it says in 1 Peter 2 because we've created a disparity between laity and clergy. And that is not biblical. 1 Peter 2.9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. As followers of Jesus, you guys, we, God doesn't do anything to us that he doesn't also want to do through us. We are called to proclaim the excellencies. That's declaring how amazing Jesus is. It's declaring and sharing what's true about Jesus. I really liked those tacos. Here's the sad reality. I'm way quick, more quick to tell somebody how good Pastor is than I am to tell them how good the good shepherd is. Because it's more comfortable. It's more, a little more appropriate. I already told you guys that one of the deep-rooted issues with Israel is they had this tendency to clump up. They had the tendency to close the walls. They had a tendency to gate themselves in when they're being unhealthy. There are plenty of moments where Israel did not do that. But they had a tendency to shut themselves out from the nations instead of move into the nations. Blessed are the feet who carry the good news. The idea is that the people of God are on the move and that they're carrying the message of the gospel with them wherever they go. 
This also isn't new. This is what Deuteronomy 6 in the Shema says. So fellow Jews should have known this. As you go, as you rise, as you're working, as you're engaging, teach your children. Teach your neighbor. Tell them that the Lord our God is one. But I think many of us have let go of this responsibility or we've let go of this idea because there's a word like preach in there. And that word preach is like, well, that's for paid professionals, not for anybody else. And Paul would plead with you as to I, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, you are saved. You are part of his family and now you are called to carry that message with you wherever you go. Are we ready to share? And I just want you to know, some of us feel really ill-equipped to share the good news. Some of us feel ill-equipped to talk to somebody about Jesus. I've shared with this story with you many, many times about my friend in junior high. teacher was about to start our science class in Sequoia and a friend got mad at the guy behind us because he had said the F word. And he turns around, hey, you're going to go to hell for saying the F word. And I'm like, I just, I don't know what got in me, but I looked at the dude. I'm like, dude, we're going to go to hell for a lot more than just swearing. And like, he just, his face like dropped. And then class started. And I'm a goody two-shoes. I'm a kiss up to my teachers. I don't talk once class starts. And he just leans forward. He's like, hey, what did you mean by that? I'm thinking to myself, dude, I'm going to get in trouble. I lean forward. Say, hey, Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What? (laughs) Romans 6.23 says, yeah, the wages of sin is death. That's what we deserve. But the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. What? (laughs) No, but the good news is Romans 5.8, that God demonstrates or proves his love towards us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Who's Jesus? I'm thinking to myself, stop asking questions. I'm going to get in trouble. And I did, I don't know if you were paying attention, but what I just was doing is I was walking us actually through the book of Romans and what God has to say about who we are, who he is, what he's done. And I got to a point where I said, and again, not sufficient, the work of the Spirit's got to be a part of this, you guys. I said, look, it says that anyone who confesses with their heart or with their mouth and believes in their heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, they will be saved. And then the conversation stopped, which I was so thankful for because I was really nervous. And, and then, uh, and I just let it, I let it go. I didn't follow up. I'm, I was chicken. Um, he comes back to me the next day and he said, hey, I, I, I've never done this before. I just want you to know that last night before I went to bed, I got down on my knees and I prayed and I confessed that Jesus Christ is Lord. Whoa, <laughs> be mean. Because I never, I never felt like somebody like me. If you guys have had an in-depth conversation, you know that I don't feel like a lead pastor oftentimes. I didn't necessarily want to be one. I, I just can't, like, who am I? But he is mindful of me. How could God use somebody like me? I am a hot, hot mess. But you know what? Jesus is really, really good. And from that moment, there were moment after moment after moment. And by God's grace, I've gotten to help lead hundreds of people to know Jesus. And I'm still sometimes a chicken to talk to my friends. But the question keeps coming back. Is it good news or is it not? I just want to be really clear. Jesus is a lot better than those pastor tacos. 
Is he actually worth talking about? You know, we reflect who's Lord by who we serve. We reflect who's Lord by who we talk about and how we orient our lives. Many of us are quick, perhaps, to declare Jesus is Lord. But then when it comes to our comings and our goings and our interactions, does Jesus remain Lord? Are we ready, friends? Like Peter talks about, to give it offense for the hope that we have. Are we ready with gentleness and grace? to share the good news about Jesus. People of, and worship team, you guys can come up. Sorry, I'm pushing it. People have often attributed a quote to St. Francis Assisi. Preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words. Um, the more t- I used to use this, by the way, but we've realized that we actually don't know who said it. It's been attributed to him. Uh, And there's a lot of really neat aspects about this, but I think it's become really popular in our culture is the idea of, like, I shouldn't say anything. I should just demonstrate everything. And I would say, no. You have to have both. If you proclaim without demonstrating, you're a hypocrite. And what does it say at the end here? All day long I had held on my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Doesn't mean we can't speak up, but we can be honest about our shortcomings. We need demonstration and we need proclamation. This believing in your heart, it's this invitation and this call toward transformation. This is becoming more and more like Jesus where he transforms us from the inside out. But we also must be a people who proclaim and speak the words My friend John in middle school, most likely, I don't think, he would have had any understanding of how to come to know Jesus if I didn't tell him. Was I a perfect Christian? Was I struggling with loads of sin? You better believe it. I was honest with him. My friends in Cuba and Russia and others here in the U.S. that have come to know Jesus, it's not because I did anything special. I pointed to the special one. The promised one, Jesus, the Messiah. So friends, I I implore you, praise God that all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That is such good news. And if you know that, be grateful for that good news. But also know, how will they believe if they do not hear? There are people in your life who are like my friend John. There are people in my life. Will we, by God's grace, step in and become a consistent people who confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus Christ is Lord? Father, thank you for this morning. We ask as we respond now that you would continue to work. As we prepare to take communion now, stir in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning we are